the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, there's a lot to discuss this week, Nadia. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Chrono Trigger, and we're going to talk about Valkyrie Profile and the possibility of more Valkyrie Profile mm-hmm. to come. Yeah, that's very intriguing. That was uh, I figured that was good news for you today, although we don't really know the nature of this, this mysterious Valkyrie profile, so we'll have to see. I'm ambivalent about it. And <laughs> Nadia has been playing the Final Fantasy XV mobile game that everybody has been kind of talking about uh, around the internet, and she has some thoughts about that. And uh, But the big thing that we're going to be doing today is we're going to have John Learned and David Craddock on the show, and they're going to do a kind of... Oh, just a love letter, I suppose, retrospective of Demon's Souls, which really kicked off the whole Soulsborn thing. Uh, if you ha- if you have a chance, you should go check out the site. John wrote a really great diary of kind of the final moments of yeah. Demon's Souls. Yeah. yeah, he was there. He was there. Uh, John has a very complicated and interesting relationship with Demon's Souls. As you can uh, you-, you can go read that on our site as well, but. Uh, first, uh, so not, so Valkyrie Profile. Mm-hmm. My first reaction upon seeing this teaser, Nadia, was to be excited. Of course. My second reaction was to be very ambivalent. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was, uh, from what I can tell, like I haven't gotten to play the original. I'm, I'm hoping this is my chance to really finally get my hands on the original and play through it. But uh, it's Valkyrie Profile Leneth. They're kind of they're kind of emphasizing that Leneth, which, I, if I'm not mistaken, was a re-release on the PSP of the original game. Yes. When Valkyrie Profile Solmaria, the sequel, came out on PlayStation 2, they re-released Valkyrie Profile Leneth on the PSP, mm-hmm. which was a port of the original PlayStation game. But it was a port of the Japanese version as right. opposed to the American version. And the American version had um, a bunch of uh, quality of life improvements to the actual interface. So it it was a little frustrating in that regard in dealing mm-hmm. with the menus and such. Plus, it wasn't necessarily an altogether great game to play on a portable system right. because a lot of Valkyrie Profile is hands-off watching kind of these short stories these mm-hmm. cutscenes. so and some of these like the opening of valkyrie profile is very slow it lasts like an hour mm-hmm. that's not a fun thing to play on a portable system yeah i can see why yeah so in any case uh valkyrie profile uh it was called valkyrie profile leneth because it was the story of leneth mm-hmm. and also it tied into samaria samaria of course being her sister and that was she was the star sort of of the sequel so it sure seems like they're going to remaster Valkyrie Profile, Nadia. Yeah, um, and the question is for what? Hopefully everything, uh, including the Switch, of course. Uh, there's already I know there's a, a mobile game out, and uh, it's actually quite popular. I looked it up; uh, it had like over a million downloads in no time at all. So as far as I know, it's still going. So that's a this is a good opportunity to cash in on that uh, popularity. Apparently, people still love Valkyrie Profile, as Cat will attest to. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it has a very fervent cult audience. I love cults. Cults are the best. Cult, cult, cult audiences Nadia. are the best. 
it's funny because i'm listening to the last podcast on the left uh, and there are five uh five part series on jonestown right now oh boy and yeah no uh th- that was an interesting thing to listen to on top of playing far cry 5 so oh that's, that's why is real mood listening right there yeah why is cults keep coming into my life right now <laughs> are you trying to tell yourself something no <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure california has its share of cults uh but in terms of Valkyrie Profile, so I've talked at length about why I love this game and all of the interesting things that it does. The reason I'm feeling ambivalent is because what I really liked about Valkyrie Profile was its style. Mm-hmm. I liked the music. I liked the sprites. I just kind of liked the overall look of it. Right. And I really liked how cheesy it was. Right. I liked how over the top it was. I loved... Come to me, Dark Warriors. Battle awaits us. Yeah, I, yeah. I loved the inflection of Lazard Valeth. I loved all the random Pokemon voice actors who were, were <laughs> on <in> there. there? <laughs> yeah, the wow. voice of Ash was in there. Uh, the voice of... He even says, like, Lapis, I choose you, or something like that. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Not quite, not quite, but uh, but I, I think I, I probably joked a lot about that. Because yeah. he has the exact same inflection as right. Ash Ketchum, um, the, the, the character. Uh, and they also had Brock, uh-huh. and they definitely had Jesse um, from Jesse and James of Team Rocket. So, like, we had multiple... We had multiple alums playing yeah. in Pokemon alums. So That's fun. everybody was like, oh, the localization for Valkyrie Profile, not very good. I loved it. It was so cheesy. It, it was like great. It like one of those things, looking back on, you, you would really appreciate it even more. It was also, uh, I don't know like if it necessarily holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the main villains, I, 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 suppose, I suppose it holds up in the sense that one of the main villains is a guy named Lazard Valeth and he's real gross because <laughs> he is making artificial sex doll girls, oh boy. Uh, homunculi that he's transferring souls into or something like that. And he's obsessed with Lenneth and it's very stalkerly. Ew. And I suppose it's good that he's a, a villain, but uh, that guy really creeps me the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least you get to kick his ass. I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, no. And in fact, my battle with him is one of the my favorite battles in the entire game. In any case, I am concerned that even if they gave it the AAA treatment, that it would lose something in the translation. Basically, yeah, I understand the fear of uh, potentially losing something special in the original when uh, a remake comes out. Because even the best intentioned remakes sometimes just lose things in that transfer. It can't be helped. Uh think of it as a game soul i don't know it's just something that's something that can't really be replicated all the time yeah valkyrie profile solmaria had a 2d look that was not nearly as stylish and it was a lot more subdued like the localization was better but it was much more subdued in terms of the voice acting mm-hmm. and so i felt that it lost a lot in that respect it was still a good game the battle system was much better but it didn't have that pep that that life to it that the original valkyrie profile did so i'd be concerned about losing that in the translation uh i would love to have i would prefer to have sprites yeah uh, as versus 3d but i'm concerned that they would go with 3d yeah for something that's just not nearly as attractive um and honestly i don't know that i need a remake Mm -hmm. i don't know that i need a remaster all i really need is a way to play the original reliably. Right, yeah. 
that's what I was going to say because a lot of people, for example, myself, haven't played the game. And uh, yeah, to be honest, if I were to play it, I would probably enjoy just going for uh, the straight experience, at least at first. Yeah, it's quite hard to find these days. Exactly. It's very expensive on Amazon, uh, in part because it's just not available through digital download services. Yeah. And I would really like to be able to freaking play this game when I want to. I want to pay money to own this game. And so many games finally made the transition. Uh, Suikoden 2 is a good example. Exactly. Yeah, which is still and, a great game. Yeah, an amazing game that holds up very well. And so it really stink to it, it. It really stinks to not have access to what I think is an underrated gem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my other favorite topic. Uh, is the same problem facing Babylon Five, uh, a show that I think it, it's been forgotten in large part because some of it is that it's cheesy. Yeah, but the, a lot of it is availability. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can only buy it on DVD. Uh, yeah. It was on streaming for a, ch- for a time, but then it went away. And nobody is ever going to remaster it because it's not worth putting the money into it. Mm-hmm. And you would have to basically completely redo all of the CG because they lost the original CG. Oh. And it's only available in SD. So you're watching it, you're watching the DVD, and you're like, this is fine, this is fine. And then the CG comes on, and it's just this blurry mess. <laughs> and it's <laughs> really... <laughs> It's really unfortunate, and that is kind of what Valkyrie Profile is facing at the moment. The mm-hmm. best you can absolutely do is basically pull a Panzer Dragoon and download the ROM and play it on your PC, which I'd rather I'd rather pay money to Square Enix. Yeah, so would I, because I am not the kind of person who wants to bother fudging around with ROMs and emulators, especially for CD games. Uh, I'd rather just say, hey, here's here's ten bucks. I will play. I will happily give you ten bucks. And I will play this game. Because even if I bought it used, they wouldn't be getting the money. So I'd be able to give them the money directly. I'd get the game. Win-win. It'd be preserved. Yeah, the worst case scenario for me is they basically do a secret of mana on it. (laughs) Well, no. I guess it could be worse. No. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) No, that's as bad as it could possibly get. Because secret of mana was, well, it was lifeless. And it sucked all of the character out of it. And it was obviously done on a very tight budget, mm-hmm. which I thought was actually kind of disrespectful to the source material. And it had tons of crashes and stuff. Yeah, That's not cool. Yeah. These games deserve better. Oh, absolutely. And they're doing the same damn thing to Chrono Trigger. They've done they the did same it damn to thing. Steam. <laughs> how could they, how dare they release Chrono Trigger on Steam as oh. a cheap, crappy mobile port? How dare they? Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I wrote about that the other day, and it, it's just so... It made me a little bit angry, and I don't get angry about games that often. Yeah. I, I don't want to get over the top with this. I, I don't. No. And I know I was just saying, how dare they, but come on, man. Th- this stuff is some of... These games are treasures. These are some yeah. of the best games ever made, and uh, I don't understand why they they need to treat them better. Mm-hmm. They need to give them better releases and better ports they they need to give them more attention on these platforms same goes for nintendo to be honest Mm -hmm. stop friggin dumping straight roms yeah Yeah, give them the love that they deserve (laughs) sega's been way better than either nintendo or square enix when it comes to preserving their old games yeah m2 is is fantastic at what they do i mean if you want to give us uh emulations or or whatever straight ports that's fine but hire someone who knows what the hell they're doing get digital eclipse get m2 uh people who are going to treat 
these properties with the respect they deserve. Uh, what has happened with Chrono Trigger and before that Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy V, it is a disgrace, quite frankly. Yeah, no, exactly. It's just, oh, let's make a profit. Yeah. That's <laughs> fine. I want to be able to play these games as in any way possible, but God, what yeah, have you like, done? I, I do not object to Square Enix making a profit off their nostalgic properties. No, that is no. fine. I am totally okay with that, but don't feed me trash, because that, that Chrono Trigger is just trash. Uh, I mean, I mean that might be a little bit strong, but at the same, uh, like, I don't want to... I'm, there's somebody out there working their ass off to get this done but at the same time it's just like why would you make that decision it's a mistake yeah okay nothing personal against whoever's getting it done I, I totally understand programming is hard and god knows Square Enix probably did not spend a lot of money to get this project done uh, and I think a lot of the problems to be fair are just the, uh, the taking this mobile game and blowing it up to PC and for all I know, whoever did this port was told to do exactly that. And maybe they even suggested, hey, why don't we do something a little better? No, no, you're going to do this. So that's what we have. And it's just really, really disappointing. And yet, there are good examples of Square ports. Yes, there are. They can, they can do good ports. Uh, Final Fantasy IX, that's the one I played. It was a very good, it was a very good port. So... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, well, it's, Square Enix. I, I think Square Enix has a a legacy or a brand or something to protect, and it's got to treat these games better. It really does. And it, it, the thing that disappoints me most is that uh, something like Final Fantasy, uh, the um, Brave, uh, what's it called, Brave Exvius, or uh, whatever they, they call it, the the free to play gotcha game, which actually is like I, I'm not playing it i haven't played it in a long time but for what it is it's pretty good it looks good it sounds great and uh they obviously put care into this game even though it is a free-to-play game and then they just kind of turn around and charge 14.99 for <laughs> a mobile port of one of the best games of all time and like i said this isn't just a, like a coin vacuum game dressed up as like a nostalgic property like brave Expius. this is a nostalgic property this is the nostalgic property arguably and just to have it so poorly transferred that I can't even select things properly on the menu because they're still optimized for touchscreens, it's just blah. 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 So what would be the ideal, what would be the ideal situation for a Chrono Trigger port in your, in your mind? Uh, I think the most popular one, uh, and probably the right answer, is uh, Chrono Trigger for the Nintendo DS. And failing that, Chrono Trigger is straight up... Uh, on the virtual console. Did it ever come out for the virtual console? I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, uh, n- yes. Yes. Okay. Chrono Trigger did make its way to the Nintendo Wii's virtual console. Okay. So it, that's still a very good uh, option. Um, I'd say a couple of things are different. Like the translation's a little more accurate in the DS version. I think both are fine. It's not like... This came from the era of Nintendo when they're st- they were starting to finally relax about their, their censorship issues. Whereas Final Fantasy VI had to cut a lot of things. Chrono Trigger... I don't know, I think it cut a reference to alcohol here and there. It, it wasn't that bad. And of course, you do, you do have your Wolseyisms, like making Frog kind of a old English uh, knight instead of a <laughs> sarcastic whatever the hell he was in the DS version. But they're they're both good. And of course, the DS version has the extras. It has the, the extra dungeons, which aren't great, but are kind of nice. And it has the anime scenes, which, again, are, are fun. They're good to have. Yeah, uh, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think the best case scenario is basically... Uh, the ROM with uh, the 
DS script and the extras uh, on top. And yeah. yes, that would require quite a bit of work, I'm sure, uh, to put this all together. But maybe this package deserves it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, given that it's a, a classic game, to be honest. And this is the this is the foot you're putting forward on Steam. Yes. For and, uh, people who have heard about this game so many times over the years, and now they're downloading it. Yeah, yeah. And please change the font. <laughs> and consider, Chrono Trigger is not actually that easy to find. I mean, you can get yeah. it on iOS, but it's not on the SNES Classic. It's not on the virtual console after the Wii. Right. I mean, if you have a Wii U, you can totally get it. Or if you have a Wii, you can totally get it. But you can't get it on the Switch or anything right now. Right. Uh, it's not. Uh, and if you have a 3DS, I guess you can play the DS version. But it's not super optimal. No, if, so, I, if I wanted to play it, I'd have to dig it up. And I don't know where the hell it is. It's somewhere in my bedroom. Um, and the mobile port isn't ideal, but if you're actually playing on a phone and not looking at those awful tiles on the a PC uh, screen and not struggling with controls because they're all touch-based, it's honestly not bad. Uh, like I said on, on one of my articles, I was on a bus that broke down in the middle of nowhere and uh, for four hours, so I'm like, eh, well, I, I got Chrono Trigger. I started playing Chrono Trigger, and it was a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, honestly, if they had just uploaded the, the, S, the SNES ROM... Yeah. Uh, to Steam. I probably would have bought it. Yeah. Because uh, I was like, oh, I want an easy way to play uh, Chrono Trigger on a big screen. Uh, this is an ideal. Uh, oh, God. No. 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 <laughs> just everyone's disappointment how how quickly it just kind of rose up from Twitter. It was just very sad. Yeah. I, I hate sounding so entitled about all of this, but come on, yeah, guys. Yeah, but we're not talking about some schlub game that, like, you know, nobody really played back in the day. We're talking about Chrono Trigger. Yeah. And and in terms of Valkyrie profile, uh, I think the absolute best case scenario is it's a complete HD remaster in like 2D with gorgeous 2D sprites yeah. and everything that completely retains the character of the original game. I think I, I ridicule for people for being like, oh, I would totally cry at this announcement. And <laughs> like, I, I want to remain objective, movie. but... I think I would feel a little emotional at that yeah, uh, to I see possibly my very favorite game of all time gorgeously remastered in HD in HD with the beautiful new sprites and everything. Yeah. That would be just incredible. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen. No, <laughs> I really don't. It's just like not a big enough franchise for that. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like, as awesome as that sounds, that's a lot of effort for that, for Valkyrie Profile. Yeah. So. Barring that, all I would be so happy if you just gave me a PSN release or mm -hmm. a Switch release, like for the PSX version or a Steam release. Yeah. Just find yeah. a way to get the original PSX version and not the PSP port, for God's sake. Don't put that on Steam. <laughs> put that on Steam. I'll be so mad if you up. do that. Don't do that. Um, some way. I, I'm happy that Valkyrie Profile is around. I'm afraid that it's not going to have the same kind of je ne sais quoi that the original had. Mm -hmm. uh, that maybe it just won't ever be the same. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm being overly cynical about this, but... Yeah, there are be best case scenarios for this. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that they do write about it. Yeah, okay. I hope so too. <sighs> Exciting. Exciting times, Nadia. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Never a boring moment. Indeed. So uh, 
one thing that I've been hearing a lot on social media, uh, we've had people asking us for our thoughts on two things. Mm-hmm. One is Radiant Historia. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've been playing that. Yeah, I just started. And we'll talk about that in more depth next week because we've got a friend of a mutual friend of ours coming on the show and he's been playing it and he has all kinds of crazy thoughts about this thing. <laughs> um, and also the Final Fantasy 15 mobile remake thing, yep. which is so weird and interesting and it's been kind of flying under the radar a little bit, but people really think it's good and seem to really enjoy it. Uh, you've been playing it. What are your thoughts? Well, I haven't played like hours and hours of it, but I have really delved into it and kind of gotten a good feel for it. Uh, it is is very interesting because I could go ahead and explain it and say, oh yeah, it's mobile Final Fantasy 15. But what I mean is that it's actually, opt- it's, it is Final Fantasy 15, period, the story, optimized for mobile. And what that means is it is focused mostly on making the combat simple. Uh, you only control Noctis. Uh, and basically making travel very simple, too. So, to be fair, one of the things I love most about Final Fantasy XV is that open world and that road trip aspect. That's more or less gone. Uh, For example, Cindy sends you on that opening quest where you go kill the quote-unquote varmints uh, to pay off getting the regalia fixed. And you head there uh, by following an arrow, and once you're in that area where the scorpions or whatever are attacking you, you can't really explore beyond those boundaries, even when you're done the battle. You just kind of have to be shuffled from place to place. Uh, once you get your car back, you go directly from place to place. Like, Cindy says, hey, can you deliver this package to wherever? You're like, sure. Everyone gets in the car. Next thing you know, you're in wherever that place was. It was some motel. And I just recently arrived at, um, I can't remember the name of the Oceanside City, Golden Key, I think it is. And uh, that, again, you don't get to drive there, which is a shame because that was one of my favorite parts of Final Fantasy XV was driving up and seeing seeing the sea, as Noctis said. Uh, that was a really sweeping, interesting moment. But at the same time, I can understand, okay, this is why they had to do it this way. Uh, Final Fantasy XV is a huge game. They've tried to release full-blown Final Fantasy games on mobile before with, with very poor to mixed results. So what they did was they took the the experience, whittled it down for mobile. All the voice acting's there, all the scripts are there, uh, soundtracks there, except for the um, what you can listen to in your car, which kind of sucks. Uh, so yeah, it is essentially just Final Fantasy fifteen for your little tiny phone, and honestly, it's not a bad way to deliver the game's story. How is the combat? Uh, it's a lot simpler. Like I said, you only control Noctis and you uh, parry by like doing quick time events like a, a, a circle pops up and you have to tap it fast enough to parry. If you don't tap it fast enough, you can block still, but if you just kind of really sleep on it, you'll end up getting hit. Uh, again, you don't get to control anyone besides Noctis as far as I can tell. Uh, you do get to um, kind of build up a lesser skill tree so that your boys are doing certain uh, tactics and attacks like automatically. Uh, most of them, I think, reflect the the actual full game. Mm. And uh, of I really course, like. Oh, sorry. I was going to cool. say, of course, you strike warp by you hold down on an enemy. I believe it was, and you go directly to them. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I I really like the the art style of this one. I think it's weird. <laughs> you a, do. I was going to say it looks like a disaster of the Precious Moments Factory. 
something <laughs> something about their faces. Like the art style itself is fine, but when I look at their faces, I'm like, what happened to your eyes? Your eyes are are, are kind of dead. Well, I understand don't why freak me out that like way. that. <laughs> don't freak me out like that, Nadia. I don't like it. <laughs> Sorry, I come up with weird metaphors sometimes. I guess I don't want to think about Noctis's dead eyes. <laughs> Well, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's like, I can understand, like, okay, make them cute and chibi, but fix their faces? I find it so interesting that they went in this direction uh, with Final Fantasy XV. Um, you, so many other places would try to cram yeah. some kind of stripped-down mobile port. Uh, the first thought that comes to mind is, say, like, XCOM, yeah. which, I mean, they did a heck of a job porting it, but it's a very direct port. And I, I, I like that they really went the extra mile to make it cater to that particular yeah. platform. I think that was a, a very good idea. Again, like I said, my favorite part of Final Fantasy XV is that open world aspect, but I also appreciate just kind of following the story from point to point. It goes very, it goes a lot quicker than it does in the actual game, as you might expect. Yeah, but the story is the weakest part of uh, Final Fantasy XV. No, they, they, have the, they have the characterization there, too, like the... the not so much the chatter on the road, but like just the the boys kind of interacting with each other, and they still camp and they still banter while they fight. Uh, although I will say the sound clips I think are a little more used, like reused. Uh, in my mind, the absolute best part about Final Fantasy fifteen is still the loop of going out for the day, killing things, mm-hmm. wandering through the open world, uh, taking care of some stuff, maybe doing some hunts, and then returning at night to the campsite and having food. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's not much of that going on in Final Fantasy XV. You do you, you still go to campsites. Uh, I don't know if I found a hotel to sleep in yet, or a uh, or a trailer, but um, you can still do all of that. And Ignis still cooks. The food doesn't look nearly as good, of course, because it was like really kind of tempting on uh, the original game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my god, it looks so good in the original Final Fantasy XV. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to eat a behemoth like right then and there. Hmm. Yeah, Final Fantasy XV is an interesting case. It just came out on PC, actually. Oh, that's right. That just the Windows edition that that launched, or the demo did. One yeah. Or the other. Yeah, I have to take a look at it and see if it is measurably improved. I bet there are some pretty spicy mods out already. <laughs> Everyone's naked. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna they would all look like up. Ken dolls, though. <laughs> We're gonna have to have a discussion about Final Fantasy reproduction. Ugh. <laughs> Next episode. Final Fantasy fifteen, except they're all Goku. <laughs> oh lordy, lordy! Yeah, that that that's going to happen if it hasn't already. It's probably the first mod someone's working on. If not, then no. I say the naked mod is first, and then they're all Goku. There was one thing that made me a little bit sad is that there weren't more of the really neat hunts, mm-hmm. like the behemoth, but like the behemoth hunt. That was really it's, cool. They clearly had an idea for it. And I wish that they had been able to take it all the way. Yeah, yeah. But, man, if they had given that game to Tabata from the start yeah, and just really. let him noodle away at it, I bet they would have produced a truly kick-ass game. But instead, he was working on a budget, uh, kind of trying to build it, rebuild it on the fly, trying mm-hmm. to pull off a like Final Fantasy fourteen with it. And I mean, he was somewhat successful, but it's obvious that he ran out of time, and he had to get that thing out of the door. Yeah, which is a shame. But I'd, hopefully he gets to work on the the next one like from scratch. But I don't think he's going to be done with Final Fantasy XV until uh, 2020. No, as far as I can tell, he's working on Final Fantasy XV forever. Yeah. You know that they were saying <laughs> that the, the 
the PS3 is going to have a. Uh, they said the PS3 would have a ten-year life cycle. Final Fantasy XV is going to have a ten-year yeah, life cycle. Absolutely, but uh, I mean, the, the mobile game is just another example of that. Uh, hey, here's another way you can play this game, and it's free to download. By the way, uh, hmm. you pay for chapters following that. And given how everyone reacted to Super Mario Run, I wonder how they react to this. I, I should look into that. So you recommend it? Uh, honestly, you can't go wrong because it's you do get quite a bit of content for that first free download. And if mm. you like it, by all means, keep on going. Uh, if you find it kind of a disappointing Final Fantasy experience, then uh, don't bother. But I, I honestly, I think it's a lot better than the alternative, which, as you said, was stuffing a PlayStation 4 game into, into mobile. And again, Square has tried to do that in the past, and... They, as I recall, I know they did Final Fantasy VII. I don't know if they did Final Fantasy IX as well on mobile. And both were just kind of, I just haven't heard anything good about like those kinds of ports. When you try to take a full game and put it into a mobile adaptation, there are just like bugs, crashes, optimization issues. Uh, iOS breaks down every two days. Like whenever you, whenever it changes, all the games die, and everyone has to start reprogramming their their stuff from the start. So I think they did a good thing here. All right. And on that note, we're going to have John and David come on the show now. And we are going to pay tribute to Demon Souls. Don't go away. All right, I'm back, and with me, uh, previous guests on Acts of the Blood God, David Craddock. David, you have written a whole bunch of really neat books about RPGs and games in general, and John Lernan, who did a really neat diary of his final days with the Soulsborne series. And John, you have a interesting relationship, shall we say, with the Soulsborne games <laughs> in general. Complex relationship, yeah. Yeah, uh, you wrote a... You wrote about it at some length, uh, basically detailing how uh, the Soulsborne games really kind of tied in with your battle with cancer and everything and various other things. And I suppose Demon Souls was kind of closing the book on that for you. Right. So um, that kind of closed the loop for me. I um, <clears throat> The game came out maybe six months before I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I had played it before this this goes back to the story that I wrote for US Gamer about a year ago. And I used it as kind of a coping mechanism when I was going through my treatment, and then I got kind of a little too into it. And maybe a few years later, after Dark Souls came out, my wife got diagnosed with cancer. So I kind of dumped back into into those games pretty heavily. And uh, seeing them end is a kind of a, a nice, or at least Demon Souls, server's ending is a nice little bookend to that period of my life so not to get too dark but this was definitely kind of closing the loop for me david what's your relationship with the soulsborne games um kind of on a a parallel to john's um i had heard of demon souls maybe a day before it launched in the states of uh, october 2009 and I showed my wife this video review, and I'd only watched it once, so I didn't completely digest everything. I was telling her, like, oh, this is game, and when you die, you lose 50% of your HP, and every time you die, your life is halved, and it's so hard, and it's going to be the greatest thing. 
And she was like, I don't know, that sounds kind of ridiculous. So we walked down <laughs> to the GameStop, and I picked it up. And this was probably at 5 or 6 o'clock, and I played for the next 8 or 9 hours. Uh, she started watching beside me, kind of with her hands folded across her chest, just kind of dead set against liking this game. And then she was leaning forward, and then she was reminding me, like, oh, there's the guy who throws the firebomb and blows up barrels, watch out for him. And then she's over at the computer, kind of playing Oracle, kind of reading the wiki, like, oh, you know, you can transmute boss souls and do all these different things. So fast forward a few years, we buy a second TV, a second PS3, a second copy of Demon Souls, Dark Souls 1 and 2. We've got kind of a little arcade set up in the living room. We're both playing side by side, and that's actually how we spent the past couple weeks, going through Demon Souls again. And we kind of figured, you know what, we've beaten these games legitimately umpteen times, so we just hacked the heck out of them. We duped souls, we duped stones of ephemeral eyes, we were just kind of having fun going through, trouncing everything, as much as you can trounce anything in a, in a Soulsborne game. Yeah, uh, my first experience with Demon's Souls, and I've told this, this story on the podcast a lot, I was freelancing for 1UP at the time, and it was the copy was kind of floating around the office, so I took it home with me, and I was shocked because I hadn't really played a game like that before. I, I really liked the weightiness of the combat. I liked how heroic I felt as a person wearing armor, holding a shield and a sword. And then you fall and you run afoul of a, of a boss. Like you're, you're told, oh, you have to go save the world. You got to go kill this dragon, whatever. And you run afoul of this boss and the boss kills you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm dead, and I believe that was maybe the first thing I wrote about Demon Souls was basically a, what the heck? <laughs> okay, this took a turn that I was definitely not expecting. I'm in the underworld now. I'm just another failure, okay? And that struck me as not a deconstruction, but uh, kind of a way that runs counter to the trope of the lone hero saving the world, and I really enjoyed that. So, And this is a thing that's kind of run through the entire Souls games. And I, I, I just really, I liked its difficulty. I liked how the combat felt. I thought the online stuff was absolutely brilliant back in 2009. And I just immediately became a very loud and very annoying uh, proponent for <laughs> the Demon Souls games. Uh, I went on co-op with uh, the old one-up show folks. And they were like, what is this game? This game's garbage. Come on, it's crap. And I kind of made my name a little bit going, no, it's super good and I love it and here's why. And all the people on Gaff were like, I believe that I, I believe that girl is right. She's totally, yeah, she's <laughs> totally got it. We're on her side. Vindicated. <laughs> Vindicated. And then, you know, a couple of years later, Dark Souls comes out. And uh, Job Stauffer, who was the PR at Bandai Namco at the time, like he gave me and he gave... Uh, uh, Kevin Van Ord, the first two uh, review copies of De of Dark Souls, because he was like, "You were the only two in the mainstream press to believe in us." Here you go. <laughs> that was pretty rad, actually. Like all of the mainstream press did not pick up on it until Dark Souls. But I was there first. I'm a Dark Souls hipster. I I kind of remember uh, Gamespot. I think made waves. They didn't just give it RPG of the Year. I think. They gave it their game of the year, yeah. Which kind of turned heads, like, oh wow, this is game of the year. Which was like, uh, kind of, I was in Cat's position. I'm like, hell yes, it is. Like there was, yeah. <laughs> and two, 2009 was a great year. You had Plants vs Zombies, Batman: Arkham Asylum, but Demon Souls to me was just head and shoulders above anything else I'd played that year. You know, I 
was playing so many JRPGs up to that point that like 2009 was really the year punk broke for me because like <laughs> um, the first Dragon Age came out and even though I don't think it's that great of a game like I that really sort of turned my head toward Western RPGs that I haven't played in a long time and then Demon Souls came out and I remember right before like as it was coming out a friend of mine was watching like g4 or whatever video review show that they had and he's like wait you have to see this game that they're reviewing because i know you're into japanese rpgs and you know they were talking about how hard it was and it's a cool game but it's not for everybody i'm like that that is for me i will like that game and so <laughs> yeah i was stumping pretty hard for it after it came out and i remember when GameSpot made it their game of the year and i was like goddamn right it is and just like you guys it's you can only scream so much until people finally yeah. get it, and it took demons or Dark Souls for people to finally get it, and here we are. Yeah, it's become a cliche now to talk about it. Uh, there's so many cliches associated with the Soulsborne games. <laughs> you you highlighted one in your article, uh, John. Uh, tough but fair, and Demon Souls. Let's be honest, was kind of a bastard. It really kicked my ass, but that was so refreshing at the time because we had gone. We've gotten into a very handholdy phase of games where all of the talk was about how we had to make games as accessible as possible. Call of Duty 4 had come out two years earlier, completely changed the paradigm of how we experienced shooters. And so we had tons of gray cover-based shooters coming out on the Xbox 360 and PS3. And then Demon's Souls comes out and nobody was paying attention to it. Because, I mean, who the hell cared about From Software in 2009? I, the, they were the Armored Core guys. Right. They were the weird, that weird Japanese company that yeah. makes kind of janky mecha games and the same mecha games all the time. And now they're coming out making this dungeon crawler and it's really unforgivingly hard. Oh my God, it's completely brilliant. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just a test. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it, it, it's such a it was such a warts and all experience for me because even playing Demon Souls, there were certain things where some people kind of seemed to get off on its mm. obfuscation, and I remember thinking like, you know, I wish I'd known that I have to kill Flame Lurker and then take his soul to the hidden blacksmith in the first area of World 2 and go through his dialogue four times and then he'll ask for the Red Hot Demon Soul and then I can transmute souls because until then, I had actually popped a few boss souls because I thought, well, I need to level up. Leveling up right. is the most important thing in JRPGs, right. but in, in Demon Souls it's actually not and that's kind of a big thing now, right? We have challenge runs like Soul Level 1 playthroughs where they're just saying forget levels, just upgrade weapons and get good at, at parrying and rolling and that sort of thing. But that's part of what makes it great for me is that yes. there's there's that extra layer. There's there's so much running under the hood that you know you can play the game pretty straight and be successful with it if you just get good enough to do that. But mm -hmm. if you really sort of dig deeply into the systems, it's that much more rewarding. So yeah. that's you know how the YouTube community really sort of latched onto it and and. You know that fourth grade playground mentality of people sharing like oh my god have you figured out the world tendency system yet and have in the the dark souls games if you gone through covenants have you gotten what you can like dug deeply enough to get the most out of those yet and that's i i mean you can really enjoy it on so many more levels that way and kind of getting back to what you're saying yeah doing different challenge runs or even sort of um, forcing yourself to play the game differently than you have in previous runs. That not to make it any harder, but like I've 
probably played through the game three dozen times at this point. I've never done it with just a bow. And I don't think it would be that bad. But And one of these days I might get around to doing that. And, and that's just what makes those games really great. Yeah. I'm inordinately proud of the fact that um, I beat Dark Souls 2 and 3 with just the bow. And in Dark Souls 2 I beat the... Uh, I used the broken ladle. The mundane infused ladle. Baller. Yeah. Actually did this. And, and that's the sort of game. Like these, these systems are so flexible that you can, like, hey, here's yeah. a spoon, a broken spoon, and you can still finish the game with it, and that all traces back to Demon Souls' flexibility. So am I crazy? I, I've, I've seemed to recall in Demon Souls, so one of the things about Demon Souls was you had discrete worlds. You had World 1, you had World 2. Am I crazy for remembering going under a bridge and basically just sitting and sniping at a dragon until they died, or was that in Dark Souls? It was Dark Souls 1. Yeah. Okay, was that Dark Souls? Right, okay. yes. To get the Drake Sword, which is ridiculously powerful in the early game. In the early game, yeah. Yeah. I remember in Demon's Souls, the 1-1 one, one is quite difficult. And you're going through it. I, I know at some point a dragon shows up, because a dragon always shows up. Right, of course. And, and then you finish 1-1, one, one, and you kill the initial boss, who's fairly hard, if I recall correctly. Uh, I think best way to kill him is with fire right yes kill it with fire yes kill it with fire it's like a giant horrible mud thing that like uh splits apart if i recall correctly yeah um and then you're not supposed to go to one two it's actually a bad idea to go to one two if i recall correctly with early level stuff but that's not intuitive at all No. You know, that's what makes the, the, the sort of malleable class system of these games cool is that yeah i mean it's Demon Souls is sort of set up to be like Castlevania by way of Mega Man, right? So like it's this dark fantasy, but you can sort of jump around to where you want to be. And the way that the class system works is that, you know, as I'm sure everybody that's ever played one of these games can tell you that like the initial classes are just sort of guideposts. You can do whatever you want. You can build your characters however you want. So really good Demon Souls players, once they settle in on like, okay, I'm going to make a magic build they start sort of like cherry picking which levels to go to first after 1-1 to say, okay, in 4-1 I can get a sword that scales with my magic stats, so I'll play up to 4-1 until I get to that point and then back out and then I'm going to go to this level and do this and this level and do that. And, you know, that's just, just part of the charm. And um, you're right, it's not intuitive to do that your first couple of runs through the game. You're, you think that you should be going through it in a linear fashion, and it, it's it really rewards you for planning more effectively in a different way. I think what I what I love about its nonlinearity is that it makes for some great stories um, coming from every other video game, practically other than Demon Souls up to that point. I, I went into one too, and um, that's the one where there's a there's a series of bridges, and the dragon will swoop down and breathe fire over the bridge, and you have little covers you can go under to kind of get your breath. But I didn't realize at first that you can kill the dragon by climbing up to a turret and sniping him when he flies by. I was, I remember my heart was racing, my hands were sweaty, all those cliches. I ran, I sprinted past the last leg of that bridge. Uh, there are, that was a, the approach of the boss, and there are a couple of snipers shooting at you. There's two blue-eyed knights and a group of soldiers on the ground. I'm hacking my way through them. The dragon, I hear the roar of fire behind me. I sprint past the blue-eyed knights, go through the fog, and then I'm at the Tower Knight boss. And I actually finished him on my first attempt. And that story, like, it's so 
it's one of my favorite stories because all of the, those crazy events happened and I actually came out the other side in one piece. It was so fun. Yeah, killing the Tower Knight in your first try is impressive. Cause I, when I was I, in the zone. When I stepped through that portal, I looked up at the Tower Knight and I'm like, wow, you're really big. And then it smushed me and I was dead. But that's sort of another cool part about really challenging games too. Like you're so keyed in, you know, once you get into a certain, like you, you get into this weird fugue state, right? Where you, yeah. you get through a, a bunch of obstacles and then you don't think it's a good idea that you go challenge a boss, but like you are so in the zone, like you said, you're so keyed into it that like you, you, your dodging timing is way better than like if you were to have died and start over again. Um, things like that. So yeah, that's, that had to have been a hell of a feeling. There is no way that I can possibly say that I did the same thing. <laughs> I think I did, it. I, did, I did it the hard way. I didn't climb up and kill the archers shooting at you. I oh, was man, just, that is the hard way. That Yeah, like I was just like, okay, I don't know who this guy is. I'm hacking at his ankles. Oh, there's steam erupting. That seems to be good. I'm going to keep this up. And then he <laughs> fell, and I hit him in the head, and I'm alive. And great, great. And then I got the heck out of there. <laughs> Bravo. And the first, <laughs> the first time I took out the Tower Knight, I felt very empowered because yes. that... That was a tough, gosh darn boss. But so, John, you were there in like the final seven days. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to know, like, what was that like? It seemed like you had quite the adventure uh, putting together this diary, like reconnecting with Demon Souls, being on the Discord. Um, I think my favorite part is... <laughs> hanging out with the high schooler who's like oh did you play that dragon ball fighters game you're like "Ah, i don't really have the time to like master it and he's like you don't have the time like you like you legitimately broke him like i don't understand i don't understand how you could not have time to play every video game ever that that was actually not the high school kid who said that it was the other Ah. guy it was the oh my gosh right and i'm like and I, i didn't want to like break it to him like hey man i'm i'm in my mid thirties and I got a kid, I don't have time for this shit anymore. But, um, yeah, the, I spent the last month, I played it every day and I blogged about it every day. And I just kept like this giant notebook of, of what I was going through. And at first in the early stages, um, for me, I really needed to sort of like get limber again because it had been over, over five years, maybe more since I'd played the game. And I remembered enough of it, I thought that I think I would do okay, but I'm like, you know, this might take me a whole month to get through one run of this game, so I better start now. And so, excuse me, I um, really didn't realize how bad of a state the servers were in when I started again. And the, the North American servers were notorious for years for just not being in, in a very good state. And as time went on, like, you know, no one really had to do a lot of maintenance to it because, like, you know, the player base was dwindling and the game was getting older. They were keeping them on, but you really had to fight with them to, to get other players in to, to do co-op or to do PvP. So I went through the majority of my first run of the game totally solo. And um, a lot of it was muscle memory. A lot of it was sort of like relearning the game for myself. And I... I did a, a mage class, which is sort of the easy mode for this game because magic is a little overpowered in, in Demon Souls. And um, I at, at the end of it, I'm like, you know what? This is like cracking my knuckles. I felt pretty good about it. So like this next run, I've, I've really got to pull more people into this. And that's when I met. That's when I like had to go to Discord. I had to go to the Reddit. 
um, to get other people and to really coordinate it with, with, with other folks to get into the game because the servers are just in such bad shape. You're kicked offline and you don't know it. The game will just keep letting you play, but like if you can't drop um, messages for other players, you can't see other bloodstains and stuff like that. And, and it's something that you don't realize until you, you really start doing some homework. And you're like, why the hell am I not finding other people to play with? And so I, I swallowed my pride and I went to Discord and I, I really like Discord. I think it's a really good service. I'm not bad mouthing it. Um, it's just that Demon Souls, in my mind, is not meant to be played with other people in an, in an earpiece, sort of actively coordinating what they're doing. I think it's made to have such an atmosphere to it and such a mystique that you pantomime gestures and you sort of like intuit what you're supposed to do with each other. And that makes for a more fun experience, at least for me. But there was no way around that. I had to, to coordinate with other people. So after that first run of the game, I'm like, all right, high school kids and out of work 20-somethings, help me. Take me there. <laughs> and um, that's what we did. I, I found a couple of guys to play, and I found a really active Discord community that um, were some veteran players that were really into it for a long time. And a whole lot of brand new people. Like, I just bought the game a week ago. I need some help with this. Or, like, I've only been playing this for a couple of days. And I'm, I, this is not like the other Souls games. I really need to help somebody help me parse this out. In the Discord community, honestly, and the, the Souls community in general, they're great. They're really helpful people that, like, oh, you didn't know about this? Well, let, let me kind of run you through a level and show you how it's done. Or, like, let me at least kind of give you an idea of how some of these systems work. Um, you know, people were pretty active with like looking up item duplication and stuff like that so they could power level through things if they needed to. But that's when I was meeting, you know, that certain crowd that uh, plays games online and, and likes to talk a lot of junk and, and doesn't really sometimes get that other people are a little bit more sensitive to certain topics, right? So uh, I wrote about that a little bit. And um, as the game was going on, as the month was going on, there was this this really tense feeling of finality like this this was going to end and this is not going to be the same experience over again and, and it's one of those things that like uh i guess you don't um it doesn't really sink in until it's close to the end right and so as the days were going on like everyone was like oh there's only two days left there's only six hours left we're in the last minute or so like people were really into the fact that like it was like New Year's Day, but in reverse, I guess, you know, but like we're just counting down to something just shutting off. And so I met some really cool people, some really cool other players. And even, honestly, even those guys that I was talking about, they, they were nice enough guys, just maybe a little bit misled. And um, we wound up finding a way to sort of, you know, a few of us be together right as the end was happening and you could hear other people in the voice chat of the discord and, and what they were going through and what their final moments were and everyone was doing it a little bit differently but everyone was was sure that like there wasn't going to be any kind of grand finale it's not like they were going to like patch or reprogram the game it was just going to sort of end but like how would that end be for you individually and it was kind of a, a bizarrely tender moment you know like four guys playing a video game that we enjoyed to various degrees and and when it stopped there was this just kind of like large sigh and then like a quiet 
and everyone typed in Mbasa into the text chat, which is like sort of amen in the, the fictional religion of the game. And, and it was this, this really communal feeling that we'd all been through this thing together. Like we had been through the shit together and we had taken each other there. And it was very, very rewarding and very sad. But it's funny, a lot of people were, that I was talking to were like, what do you, you know, they would start conversations with, what are you going to play after this? You know, everyone's into this for this one month. Like, what, what's everybody doing? And some people were like, oh, I'm going to go back to Dark Souls 2 and finally finish it. Or I'm going to play Bloodborne finally because I never really got into it. And it's going to be the next game for, for PS Plus. And, and myself and a couple other guys were like, this is it. I need a break from this stuff. Like, this is <laughs> existing in too much of my headspace and we need to move on. And... And yeah, that was me and Madden, <laughs> weirdly <laughs> enough. But uh, the funny thing to me is that these games, uh, from software at least initially, never really intended for these games to have a quote-unquote community. Y- yeah, it had like these online elements. But I remember when Dark Souls came out, everybody was complaining about how hard it was to connect with your friends. I'm like, well, that's not the point. You're supposed to be like two ships passing the night. Right. The whole point is that you're running through it down a corridor, and oh, look, there's a ghost running past and oh what is this bloodstain running toward that red-eyed knight that is like ah okay oh though they're dead oh oh why is this message misleading me oh that's pretty funny oh my god my game's just been invaded who is this person who is this mysterious stranger that moment in demon souls i I believe it's demon souls where you fight another player if i recall correctly Mm -hmm. stuff like that it was it was a cool novelty but it wasn't a co-op game but players will not be denied. They are going to turn it into a co-op game. They are going to have a community, whether they like it or not. I think that's that's one of my my favorite characteristics of these games. They are they are ripe for emergent behavior. You know, in Dark Souls Two, I was kind of there at the budding of the Fight Club scene, where you know you'd go into a game with a host, and they'd have um, the little glowing stones kind of set up in a ring, and they would cast the warmth pyromancy to heal the victors after every fight. And um, you know, I wrote a little goodbye to Demon Souls this week, and one thing I noted was that I think as the games went on, they objectively became more polished. And refined, you know, in Demon Souls, if the, you can only find each gecko so many times before it's gone forever, and you can't get its upgrade, or uh, but the funny thing is, is as I went from game to game, even though I like some of them much better mechanically, I never felt like I was playing them for the first time because the systems carried over from game to game, and so really, my first time, I never played Dark Souls one, two, or three, or Bloodborne for the first time. I only ever played Demon Souls as the first Soulsborne for the first time, and I think there's just something really special there. I mean, even um, I, I love the two ships passing in the night concept. I also love being able to sync up with my brother-in-law and my friend who lives across the state using the password system or the ring in Dark Souls 2, but there also is something so special about meeting someone who gets you through a hump in a level you just couldn't get past, and you know... I remember one time playing Demon Souls, we both killed, uh, I think, the Red-Eyed Knight guarding a bridge in 1-1, and we both did the cheer at the same time. That wasn't, we didn't plan that, we didn't sync it, and it was just such this cool feeling of connectivity that I don't think ever any other game in the Soulsborne line has ever had for me, because Demon Souls was really my first time for all of those games. You always remember your first, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Well, Demon Souls was such a rough sketch of what the later games would be, and they 
Crumb has repeatedly come back to these ideas that they started in Demon Souls, and even though they didn't all work so well, but some of them were visual motifs, some of them were enemy designs, like Demon Souls really did do a lot of things first, and I think a lot of people that you know sort of started with Dark Souls, they don't really realize that like. You know, even though they didn't come back to things like world tendency and character tendency, um, you know, stuff like um, like giant bosses that you have to like hack their feet up before they fall over, like the Tower Knight. They they redid that in in Dark Souls, or um, a boss that summons in another player. They redid that in Dark Souls Three. You know, that those are ideas that they they really hit it on the head the first time. And they really found people kind of resonated with that, so they they redid them and they refined them and they did them better over again. And I think that's just a that that's really a testament to giving somebody with a really clear vision enough room to breathe, and and just let them kind of like be on their own and do their thing. And, and in this case, good good art kind of emerged from that. What do you guys think of the people who say? Demon Souls was the best. It's the best of the Soulsborne games, and don't at me. <laughs> I think I think it's legitimate. I think that I've thought a lot about this, and I think um, you can look at the whole series and say, you know, each game does one thing particularly well. Um, I think everyone has a really special connection to each of these games, and for for those of us, we we select few who who were there uh, at square one with Demon Souls. I think we'll always have a special bond with it. It's it's more of a gothic horror or dark fantasy game than Dark Souls kind of epic fantasy bent. And uh, I don't even think Bloodborne's atmosphere can really touch Demon Souls in a lot of ways. There are times in that game, especially I think in World 1-4, as you enter this, this final wing of Boletarian Palace and you just hear the wind echoing through this empty hall and it's just, it's terrifying. It's really hard to take steps forward that first time. And the boss at the end really lives up to that hype, so I, I, I think that is um, I think that's legitimate. I think that Demon Souls, for as messy it can be, uh, like it's take its upgrade system for example, you have to do a lot of old school JRPG grinding to finish <laughs> any weapon in that game. Yeah. But on the other hand, you have this bevy of options. There are so many cool ways that you can uh, infuse your weapons. So it's it's kind of this balance. I think it's a lot of fun and it's a special game. I think you really touched on something in that, like, um, for us, because we were in on the ground floor, um, f- you know, for me, there will probably never be one that what is as good to me. It's like, okay, so this is a weird metaphor, but um, if you're into music and you like a certain musician, their first record is going to be great to you. It doesn't matter if objectively their next one is going to be better, if it reviews better, if it sells better. Um, it will never hit you like the first one did. And I really think the Souls games, at least for me, are that are the similar kind of run. So I really think Bloodborne did things differently enough that I, I think that may be my second favorite game. But I think Demon's Souls is such a... It, it touched me at such a right, a right time and even past like my personal you know, connection with it too. It's just like I had never played a game like this before and I had never played something that was just so brutally mean on the surface um, <laughs> that it it made it's probably my favorite game in the series it's definitely one of my top five maybe of all time and I think you David I think you actually touched on something that a lot of other people 
seem to miss or not really care about so much is that it really is kind of a horror game. It is. It's, it's dark fantasy, but like it is made to make you jump. Um, like the there's a cutscene in the beginning where a red dragon comes in and eats a lot of people, and that's kind of cool. But like you are running across the bridge in that first level of the game, and that red dragon comes back around and cooks you, and you didn't see that coming. And surprise, you need to learn how to deal with this kind of stuff, or like enemies that pop up and make you jump around the corner, or just grotesque enemy design kind of things, or just how confined you can feel in levels like 4-2 where you're running through through small hallways and catacombs and then you get to like 5-2 and it's just a big wide open space big black empty space and it just feels so creepy and that like you know you felt very claustrophobic at first and now it's the opposite of claustrophobic but you still feel so alone that's very terrifying to people and I think the that Demon Souls at least does that better than for my money anyway, better than any of the other games. There's one other kind of little uh, subcategory to that. You know, there one of the other Dark Souls cliches that Kat mentioned earlier is the, the get good noob. It seems like a lot of people, when they feel the need to defend the Soulsborne games, they just write off any complaints as, oh, you suck, get good noob. And I read, I don't know if it was in the Dark Souls book that came out a year or two ago or in an article, but someone made a really good point. For a lot of people, they had never played a game like Demon Souls before. And Demon Souls is a game of high risk, high rewards, you know, high highs, low lows that, you know, death really matters. Every move you make matters. And so people form this intimate bond with the games. And so although some people kind of express what it means to them less articulately than others, what they're saying is don't defend this thing that has come or don't, you know, bash this thing that has come to mean so much to me that I have this connection with this game that I've never really had with any game before. Uh, I, I totally agree that uh, the first time you're playing it, it really just it can't help but connect to you. And I think people were feeling pretty protective of it, especially at the beginning, because uh, I mean, people were seeing a kernel of something really special and were annoyed that it was being like slapped down for being so hard. I, I remember a lot of critics were going, well, this look how janky this game is. I mean, what the heck is going on here? And oh, and what is going on? And I lost all of my souls when I died. What the heck? The, the, the design in this game is total BS. And we're just writing it off offhand. Um, and so naturally I think that makes you a little more defensive when you're trying to talk up this game that needs to be talked up. But then of course, Dark Souls came out and <laughs> then everybody kind of cottoned onto it. And the tide of opinion really turned, uh, once Dark Souls had been around, but that mentality still existed, unfortunately. And so now everything's gone from being evangelical to just being annoying about it. But... <laughs> As for me, like when it comes to the original Soulsborne games, I when I reviewed Dark Souls for GamePro in 2011, uh, sadly my review is no longer on the internet because a lot of stuff uh, got lost. But I remember thinking Dark Souls was what it, it felt like the real expression of Demon Souls. Um, I loved the open world. I loved the intricacies of the map. I loved the refinements to the gameplay. And so for me, Demon's Souls was always the prototype for the series. 
and Dark Souls was where it truly got started. And I know that will rub a lot of Demon Souls fans the the wrong way because they'll like talk about all of the cool things Demon Souls did. And I think they are totally right. I wasn't as big a fan of the discrete system um, as a lot of people were, the discrete levels kind of thing. And uh, just honestly, I thought that the series got a lot more uh, refined as time went on. But I I do think that Demon's Souls certainly had its merits as a game, for sure. And, I mean, clearly, for the people who have remained with it, it's something really special to them. Like, it really resonates. And I really like David's observation that it was a kind of a horror game, that it was it had a different tenor from the other Souls games. And I think the thing that makes me kind of sad is that now that the online servers have been turned off, you can't properly appreciate it anymore, that... I mean, it, it was only ever on the PS3. It never made it on to any other platform. So that's that, right? You can't even really run uh, extra servers for it. That sucks. We're, we've lost something. I was just going to say that, like, you know, up until a couple of days ago, there was room for people to, to have your cake and eat it too, right? So, like, you could say that Demon Souls was just a sketch of what Dark Souls would become. And, you know, if, if I'm being honest, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, Dark Souls really sort of, you know, ran with a lot of the concepts and refined them and then made them good. Um, but now that the servers are shut off, you know, you can't say, you know what, you can have the best of both worlds. They're both on PS3. You can bo- You can enjoy both of these games, but... That's part of what makes this sad. I mean, it's not like Demon Souls has gone away. You can still buy a used copy. You can get it off a of PSN. But, you know, it is it is not the same experience. It's not going to be what you think it is, especially if you've played the later games now. It will never be that again unless they finally remake the game. It's never going to be that way. So they're not going to because of the, the publisher problem, Probably unfortunately. Because yeah, Demon Souls isn't technically part of the Soulsborne games. So basically, Demon Souls is going to fade from history. It's going to be the obscure one. This this was actually I'm not really a, a multiplayer guy, so this was my first time of a game kind of going offline, and yet having the benefit of being able to still I have my uh, my PS Plus copy, so I don't even need my disc. I can still play it, but it was the first time I'd actually had to say goodbye to to part of a world. And it's it's funny during the last month or so. I spent a lot of time on the Demon Souls subreddit, and there's just so much hope for a remaster. And I, I don't think it's going to happen. Putting aside the publisher problem, um, Kat, you brought up a good point. I believe uh, the series director Hidetaka Miyazaki once said, and I can't find this quote. He said that Demon Souls to us was an experiment and a successful one, and our next game will be what we really kind of wanted to make. I believe that the timing of Demon Souls going offline and the Dark Souls remaster coming out in a couple months is not a coincidence. I believe that they're shutting off the lights of the experiment, they're putting it away, and they're remastering Dark Souls to say, no, 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 you you played that game, but it's gone now. Play the one where we kind of got everything right. And that's almost kind of too bad because, again, I think that for all its warts, Demon Souls does a lot of special things. I, I hope I'm wrong. I would love to play Remaster, but I don't think it's going to happen. I, you know, sometimes people, um, publishers, and, and this has happened in various media too, they, they sort of buy their independence, right? Hmm. And From is not not the company that it was in 2009. It is 
probably 10 times the company that it was 10 years ago. And I mean that not just staff-wise, but I mean like um, with industry cred, certainly with money. They do very, very well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at some point, maybe not anytime soon, that they may go to Sony and say, you know what, we made this game for you. You didn't believe in it. You didn't even want to publish it outside of Japan. We're going to buy the rights back from you. And I think a company... A publisher smart like Bandai, who published the game in Europe, would be like, we'll front you some of the money to republish this game. I wouldn't be surprised if they try doing something like that. I, 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 I mean, that's probably blindingly optimistic, but um, th- things like that have happened before. So I, I don't want to make or give anybody any false hope, but... I would like to see a remaster of this game at some point and maybe even kind of gloss over, fix some of the flaws that it, that it had. And to be fair, Demon's Souls is not exactly a good-looking video game. I mean, I think it does some <laughs> cool things with art direction, but those character models look pretty fugly. But, you know... It looked it, so good in 2009. It did. It, had, it was <laughs> epic. It felt epic to me, especially some of the big boss fights. Like the... I still remember the spider fighter. The spider fight was yeah. awesome. It looked great. It did. Unless you were wearing the thief's ring, in which case it was <laughs> broken. But yes, it did look awesome. <laughs> hey, it was a super buggy game. So I, I suppose to wrap up, like really quick final thoughts, uh, final words on Demon's Souls. David. Um, I, I will still play it. I still play all of these games. I've logged. This is probably the first series since Ocarina of Time or, or Diablo 2 uh, where I've, I've played it replayed it dozens and, and dozens of times and I'll still replay Demon's Souls, but I think that there will be kind of something lost. Uh, I still remember going into the Penetrator boss's room and, and touching a bloodstain and seeing some character so, double over, clutch his gut, and then lift in the air and get shaken and thrown <laughs> by something. And it just, you miss those little footprints that people left. And I kind of feel like their footprints um, from these these pioneers who were kind of the first people on this this Soulsborne continent, and they're kind of gone now. We've we've built over them, but at least, you know, for those of us who know where they first landed, we can still go back and play. It'll just be kind of different. John, uh, I'm going to lord this over everyone I've ever met that I was there first. Yes, <laughs> totally kidding. Um, I um, no, do it. You, you got you were there. You had the shirt. Yeah, that's right. I you know it's it's. Um, pretty reasonable that I'll never play this game ever again, to be totally honest with you. Um, I really love it. It was really important to me. But, um, you know, as I get a little older and more more games come along and um, more stuff that I want to play and that I find it harder to get back to some of those those older experiences, the fact that this is not going to be that experience... And, and, to be perfectly honest with you, 90% of the time I played through this game, I played it offline because I wanted to manipulate world tendency and stuff like that. I didn't play it online very often, but it's still not the same experience. And I yeah. find that really sad. And um, I don't want to go out on a sour note, but it's it's it. this may be it for me. And I'm very grateful that I was given an opportunity to play a game like this. And... And I really respect for what it did for, you know, larger gaming dumb or whatever. But this is an important game for me, for the industry. And, and I think it's time for me to let it go. 
So thanks very much, Demon Souls. I'll buy you beer. Umbasa. Umbasa. On that note, uh, David, uh, plug something for us really quickly. Uh, I am crowdfunding a book right now called Rocket Jump, Quake, and the Golden Age of First-Person Shooters. It is on Unbound, which is a crowdfunding platform slash publisher for books. Uh, you can check that out right now at unbound.com slash book slash rocket dash jump. I interviewed uh, John Carmack, John Romero, a lot of id developers, a lot of developers of other first-person shooters from the 90. I have a I think a 34, 35 page oral history of the making of Team Fortress. All sorts of really cool chapters in that book. So if you'd go check that out, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, his books are great. Uh, the roguelike one was really tremendous. And I think we <laughs> we must have talked about it on this show a couple of years ago. But it really is such a wonderful window into the very dawn of the industry. And just really highlights how fundamental RPGs uh, were to games and the growth of games the development of games i I strongly encourage you to check out his work Uh, john you got anything to plug uh nothing recently i mean the the story on usgamer.net which i think yeah it's out it's up yeah it's live now um a second season of annotated games will hopefully happen sometime in the early summer um i haven't said what game I'm doing, but um, I, I annotated Symphony of the Night last in the last couple of years and I went through it like you know piece by piece and I'm gonna do that to another game soon. But there's been some roadblocks so hopefully that'll that'll get going pretty soon. But Alright. Yeah you should really go check out John's article. It is excellent. Uh, but okay, Nadia and I are gonna do uh, comments as usual. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, I am back here with Nadia, and last week, Nadia, we talked about the best RPG endings, mm-hmm. and as usual, our audience has some thoughts on that front. A lot. Uh, Flipsider99 says, the game that comes to mind immediately is Persona 2 Innocent Sin, which might have the best ending in the whole Persona series. And if you're an account MGS3 as an RPG, eh, why not? Everything's an RPG. I agree. That game would... That game would have to have the single best ending I've ever experienced in a game. Oh, uh, okay. That's uh, I never saw. I, it. I would have to think. I would have to think about what the absolute best ending of a game is. Oh, not yet. Oh my God, MGS three. Yeah, that was a lot of fun putting together that Metal Gear Solid rankings. Oh, and that was oh based- sorry. I thought you said Persona 2's ending, but yeah, I've seen Metal Gear Solid 3's ending. That's a real hard. Okay. Break. Okay. Yes. Uh, the challenge with the ending to Radiant Historia still la- lingers in my mind. I really hate the whole sacrificial lamb ending. Yeah, I have a feeling I'm not going to, just from what I've played of Raid and Historia, um, I don't think I'm going to have, like, a, a not a very happy game. Nimsy says, I think the ending for Final Fantasy Tactics was what made the game for me. The framing device was that you were reading a secret historical account written by a man who was burned at the stake for heresy. By the end, you're probably figured out why he should be he would be executed and his writings concealed. The only question is, how reliable of a narrator, mm-hmm. narrator is he? How reliable is the person reporting his work and making at the end of the story of the game? It's like the usual suspects, as written by Shakespeare. Wow. <laughs> That's a hell Final of a Fantasy Tactics and Shakespeare. Interesting. Ramsos, Kaiser, so say. Uh, Max Beto says, as Kat said, the good ending to Final Fantasy X2 does kind of undercut the ending to FF10, though the perfect ending dials it back a bit by saying Titus is still just a summon of the faith and is only being given a limited time. How much he doesn't know. 
especially with RPGs, I tend to like thorough endings that touch on everything. FF6 was the first ending I remember doing this extremely well. Dragon Age Origins has an awesome ending that lets you reflect every choice you made with your characters in the major quests. My most recent favorite ending comes from Yakuza 0 and is definitely bittersweet. Yakuza 0 and FF9 are two games where the ending dramatically improved my opinion of one of the protagonists. From the guy's pretty good to this mother frickin' baller's badass. <laughs> for FF9, it's the day it's revealed during the play. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's a cute, cute moment for sure, right? Yeah, that's I mean, we were just We talked about this during the uh, the Final Fantasy IX report. Mm-hmm, we did. Uh, so you should go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. But it was a very, very cute ending. Um, it was one of those endings where everything was was wrapped up very nicely, very storybook ending. Nice guy Neon says, I really love the ending, the true ending to Persona 4, because you get to see how everyone changed, which was so wonderful when you consider you spent about 100 hours getting to know them all and trying to solve this mystery. Yeah, I really like just walking around talking to everybody. Yeah. And all the people, all the people that I built up my bonds with and just having one final conversation. Yeah, that was nice. You do, you do kind of that in, in Persona 5 as well. Uh Jeremiah Jones says, I was really taken by the ending of the original Luffy on SNES. So if you played the second game first without any idea of what's going to happen, surviving the crazy high encounter rate to get a happy ending in the original was quite the reward. Mm. Favorite overall ending? When I got killed off by Kid and Radical Dreamers, I chose the wrong dialogue trees and got low on health. During a random encounter, instead of trying to stop the skeleton from throwing a skull at me, I dodged it. The skull hit Kid in the head and she slapped me. <laughs> And I had I, lost so much health earlier that it spelled death for me. I still laugh about it. That was hilarious. I can just picture a kid be, like swearing that cheesy Australian accent of her after you, you just kind of sprawl out dead. Soup Bone says, for me, it will always be the ending to Fantasy Star 2. Seeing my favorite villains reprise his role from PS1 was amazing and unexpected at the time, but it was the twist of who was behind Mother Brain that blew my mind. And last bit... Oh, St. Judas of Sleep says, interesting episode this week. I completely agree with Kat that history is still a surprisingly untapped resource for video games. There are some great games in the simulation genre, and Assassin's Creed has gotten increasingly more historical, but there is still so much untapped potential. That said, as a historian, I have to say that I have zero interest in Kingdom Come. It's not just a relatively boring Eurocentric source material, but also the kind of vulgar historicism that the game gives off. It reminds me of the type of historical reenactors who insist on accuracy for its own fetishistic sake, but nonetheless focus purely on the narrow aspects of history that confirms conforms with their worldview. Mm. Boom! <laughs> he said it. He put it, like, so concisely, like, all of my misgivings about that game. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right there. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, St. Judas of Sleep. You got it. Right here. Mic drop. Last mm. word about Kingdom Come. And uh, Aram D says, there is an RPG that which takes place in the Crusades. It's Exile for the TG-16 and Genesis. It was censored in the U.S., but you can still tell they didn't change the Middle Eastern maps, for instance. Man, Nadia, we took a look at this thing, and it is anime as hell. <laughs> it is the most anime thing in the universe. And we're, I'm just kind of scrolling through the characters' portraits, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's one brown guy. Because I'm like, everyone here has blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> this is the Middle East, right? All right, that's the end of our episode. Acts of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, make sure to follow us on the social medias. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And, of course, we are at U.S. Gamer Net pretty much freaking everywhere. Yes. Uh, Nadia, you're also on the U.S. Gamer Podcast. What did you talk about this week? Uh, what did we talk about? We talked about uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2, uh, which got a trailer. 
and I'm trying to remember what our main topic was. It's funny when we talk about everything pushes out of my mind when we talk about RPGs. It's like as if they take first priority or something. But I mean, they do take first priority. They do, but yeah, we always have a we always have really like fun conversations, even though we ramble a bit sometimes. Thanks again to John and David for joining us to talk about Demon Souls. That was a really good conversation. I assume because I'm recording this before <laughs> before they actually come on. It's a little bit of an inside baseball right there. But we'll be back next week to be talking about Radiant Historia, and we'll be picking up the Cosmic Star Heroine report, hopefully, um, as we're going to do uh, two more entries. We're going to do one last discussion uh, about the end of the game, and then we're going to wrap it all up and call it quits with the Cosmic Star Heroine report so that we can move on to something else and talk about it. Maybe Monster Hunter, a game that I've been playing. <laughs> That's I, not a I good report object. game, but... Oh my gosh, I love Monster Hunter World so much, Nadia. I want to be playing it right now. I, I need an excuse to go back to it. So yes, let's do a Monster Hunter report. All right, for Nadia, John, David, and myself, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. And until then, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>